Good morning, everybody. I'd say it's good to see you, but we have to do that by faith. But uh, good to talk to everybody. I'm so glad you could join our live stream this morning. And uh, let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather in this format rather than not have to, not having to be able to gather at all. So we thank you, Lord. Father, we ask that you would anoint this message and bring it forth in the power of your spirit for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, guys, it's good to be with you. And uh, let me just start by saying I think it's uh, pretty safe to say that we are in a unique time in American history. I was, As I was praying uh, about what to teach on this morning, uh, I felt the Lord impress on my heart the phrase, for such a time is this. Of course, that statement comes out of the book of Esther and how a wicked man named Haman plotted to have the Jewish people exterminated. Uh, you can read about this in the book of Esther, but let me just kind of uh, encapsulate the story. Uh, Esther was just a young Jewish maiden, probably a teenager, and uh, her folks had died. She was raised by her uh, cousin, Mordecai. They lived in Persia. At that time, Ahasuerus was the king of Persia, and King Ahasuerus at one point uh, decided to throw a big uh, feast for all the heads of state. And so they gathered there in Shushan, the capital, for this uh, feast. And uh, we read after about a week of feasting, partying, uh, you know, Ahasuerus was feeling pretty good. And so he asked his eunuchs to go bring the queen to him, okay, dressed in her royal apparel and her crown, because he wanted to show off her beauty to all the heads of state. Well, uh, Vashti was her name. She was busy entertaining the wives of the heads of state. And so she said, I'm too busy. Tell the king I can't make it, okay? Well, let me just tell you something. That, that was scandalous. In those days, uh, a wife did not tell her husband that she wouldn't obey when he asked her to come, especially if he was king. And of course, the, uh, the, uh, the heads of state and, 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 and all the wise men around the king said, King, you got to do something about this. If you don't do something about this, none of our wives are going to respect us in anything. And so they got the king to sign a hasty decree basically deposing Vashti as a queen. And I guess she was demoted into the harem in some other role, but uh, removing her from being queen, uh, saying that she could no longer ever for the rest of her life uh, go in before the king. And uh, so it was you know, enacted into law. Sometime later, the king, though, began to think better of this, and uh, he missed Vashti. Of course, the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. That You can read about that when you read the book. So he was kind of melancholy, and so his advisor said, look, why don't we send out uh, people to gather the uh, most beautiful young virgins to the capital here, and you can pick for yourself a new king. So that's what they did. And of course, as the story goes, Esther was chosen. She was a beautiful young woman, very godly young woman. And uh, God gave uh, her favor in the eyes of the king. He chose her to be his wife, his queen. And that's how Esther rose from a position of nothing, obscurity, to queen of Persia. Well, as the story progresses, there is a, a very trusted advisor that the king had. Uh, he was uh, closer to the king than any other of the king's advisors. His name was Haman. And Haman was one of these guys, he loved the praise of men. He loved when he walked through the streets of the capital city. Everyone would bow to him, make a big fuss over him like he was a real big deal. 
except for Mordecai. Whenever Mordecai was there, as Haman was walking, everyone was bowing and making a big fuss over him. Mordecai just stood there with his arms folded, and it really bugged Haman. Mordecai wouldn't bow to this guy, wouldn't give him any kind of respect. He was uh, just, he saw him for what he was. This went on for a time, and uh, every time, you know, Haman was walking through town, Mordecai wouldn't bow, wouldn't make a, ignored him, basically. So at one point, Haman had had enough, and he uh, plotted to have Mordecai and his people killed, the Jews. Now, he didn't know, and neither did the king know, that Esther was a Jewess, all right? Mordecai told her to keep that quiet, because the Jews were not looked upon um, with a lot of respect. And Haman didn't know the queen was uh, a Jewess, and so he uh, got the king to sign another hasty decree, basically telling him there's a people in your kingdom that are bad news. They have trouble everywhere they go. They're a real cancer, basically, in the kingdom. Uh, you know, king, I'll finance it personally uh, to have a gallows built to have them exterminated. If you give a decree on, this, on a certain day, this is to take place. And so the king did, and word went out that on a certain date, all the Jews in the kingdom would be killed. Well, Mordecai comes into Esther and says to her, Esther, you've got to go in before the king and plead on behalf of your people. They're going to kill all of us. And Esther said, Mordecai, you don't understand. I haven't been called into the king's presence for 30 days. And Persian law is if I go into his presence without being summoned, if he doesn't raise the golden scepter, it's my head. Uh, they'll, they'll execute me. And Esther, uh, Mordecai said to her, you can read about this in Esther 4, verses 13 and 14. Mordecai said to her, do you think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you're going to escape when all the other Jews are killed? If you keep quiet at, this, at, at a time like this, deliverance will, and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. God's going to deliver his people. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows, Esther, if perhaps you were made queen, listen, for such a time as this. For Esther, it was a time of testing to determine whether she was going to use her position as queen of Persia for her own glory, pleasure, and satisfaction, or would she use her influence with the king to go in and stand for her people even if it would meant risking her own life in the process, would she stand for her people to intercede uh, in the presence of the king to keep them from being annihilated? Well, as you read the story, Esther did go in. She did stand up for her people. And uh, the way it worked out, the tables were turned on Haman and he wound up being killed on his own gallows. But um, she answered the call. And, uh, and stood up for her people, and the Jewish people have never forgotten her kindness and courage. Each year, the Jewish people celebrate her selfless bravery during a feast dedicated to her, to her honor, the Feast of Purim. Now, guys, it's interesting how a time like we are currently going through, a time of fear and uncertainty, affects people. And how they are responding to such a time as this. For many, and I just talked to a pastor on Friday who said that uh, for many this has become a time for pornography. 
as they are trapped in their houses, often alone, and have become addicted to the sexual images that they have opened the floodgate to. The floodgate, of course, being the monitor connected to their computer, which is dialed into any one of a number of pornographic websites. They are ubiquitous on the internet. Sites that are designed by the devil to trap, entangle, and ultimately destroy them. They don't call it the World Wide Web for nothing. For others, it's become a time where, in an effort to cope with the stress and anxiety of being isolated and cooped up for weeks on end, they have turned to alcohol and prescription drugs for relief and now find themselves dependent on these things to get them from day to day. Unfortunately, for far too many, for such a time as this means the time has come to end their lives as we are seeing suicides escalating. For Christians, the statement for such a time as this means it is a time, listen, to report for duty, a time to report for duty, and use this time as an opportunity to serve God. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's pick it up in verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. As I said, for the Christian, this is a time to report for duty and use this time as an opportunity to serve God. Paul talks about this. We read in Ephesians 5, verse 15. He said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The Greek word translated circumspectly is a very broad term, very rich in meaning, all right? It carries with it, first of all, the idea of precision and accuracy, but also contains the idea of looking, examining, and investigating something with great care. However, this Greek word further includes the idea of alertness. As one author put it, as believers walk through the spiritual minefield of the world, they are to be constantly alert to every danger that Satan puts in their way, end quote. So let me paraphrase using the full meaning of this Greek word. Let me paraphrase what Paul is actually telling us, all right? He says, he is saying, see that you walk, in other words, live your Christian life carefully with great precision, looking all around and giving strict attention to all things as one might do when passing through a very dangerous place. And then Paul ended by saying, if you do this, you will be wise and not a fool. Look, walking in wisdom is critical for the days we're living. For such a time as this, we must walk in wisdom, all right? And um, to do that, first of all, it means that we need to redeem the time, as Paul told us, redeem the time. The Greek word for redeeming, as it shows up in Ephesians 5 verse 16, was a term used in the marketplaces uh, which meant, listen, to buy out or to purchase completely. To buy out or, or to purchase completely. The word time is not the Greek word chronos, which is time in the sense of seconds, minutes, and hours, but is the Greek word kairos, which is better translated opportunities. It was the same word used by Paul in Galatians 6 verse 10, when he said, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those 
who are of the household of faith, especially to other Christians, all right? The idea that um, as Christians, we should, uh, excuse me, the idea is that we Christians uh, should purchase completely or totally take into our possession every opportunity that presents itself to be used by God. We should be capitalizing on every opportunity we have to witness, to help another in need, or to minister in Jesus' name. Why? Well, of course, obviously, because it's the right thing to do. We're called to serve the Lord, so it's the right and good thing to do. But also, we are to do it because the days are evil, Paul said. It's interesting that we understand what he is, I think, alluding to. I think what he's saying is that there is a tremendous amount of pressure that is being exerted on us Christians by the world around us in an effort to get us to waste our time or, more to the point, to get us to use it in sinful ways. And I believe what Paul is saying is if we want to have a good, strong defense against sin, we must have a very strong offer offense. In other words, if we're serving God with all our heart, going forward, marching forward, serving the Lord, we're not going to have any time to backslide, okay? We're not going to have any time for the devil to get in there with, uh, through idleness and, uh, you know, and get us to, to, like David, who should have been out fighting the battles of the Lord, uh, but instead, in the spring of the year, he sent his general Joab to fight the battles of God, so David could just sit back and relax in his new palace. Uh, and then that's where he fell with Bathsheba because he was not where he was supposed to be. He was not serving the Lord. And idle time, as the old saying goes, is the devil's workshop. And you know that how that works. So Paul is saying, look, we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. In other words, the best defense against, against sin is a good, strong offense. Get out there and serve the Lord is the, is the basic idea. Look, as Christians... To properly apply the statement for such a time as this to our lives, we must, now listen, we must believe that God has sovereignly brought us to this moment in time, having prepared us for and placed us in this situation, these circumstances, to use us in a special way for his glory. In other words, we must see our lives as being created by God on purpose, for a purpose. Critical, critical. Now, I will say this. A life without purpose is a life without meaning. And a life without meaning is a life not worth living. I came across something a few years ago, and I've kept it. I want to read it to you. Uh, something, it was written about something that happened during World War II. Let me read it to you, because it fits into what we're talking about. The article goes, during the Second World War, a group of Allied prisoners were sent to a German concentration camp. While they were there, the Nazis made them move a large pile of rocks from one end of the camp to the other. This went on day after day, week after week. They would no sooner finish moving the pile of rocks from one location to the next that they would then have to move them back to where they started. And as I said, this went on for many days. However, after a few weeks of this, the prisoners began to experience an overwhelming sense of depression that increased day by day until something incredi incredible began to happen. Some of, the men, some of the men charged the guards knowing that they would be gunned down. 
As time went on, other prisoners followed, choosing to die rather than go on moving this pile of rocks back and forth endlessly from one place to the other. After the war, psychologists learning about this phenomenon interviewed the remaining prisoners and they concluded that the reason those men committed guard-assisted suicide was because they had lost a sense of purpose and without a true sense of purpose for existing, life becomes meaningless and unbearable to endure, often resulting in increased anxiety, depression, and suicide. Whereas those who managed uh, a, who maintained a sense of purpose, whether it was to stay alive for their families back home or because they had a strong faith in God and believed that he had a purpose in the experience for them, they were able to cope with the situation and survive, end quote. Guys, we absolutely, absolutely need a sense of purpose to survive. We absolutely, it's critical. It's, it's essential. Life with, uh, without life, uh, without purpose, I should say, life becomes a meaningless, mind-numbing exper uh, experiment in futility and despair. Let me say it again. We absolutely need a sense of purpose to survive. Without it, life becomes a meaningless, mind-numbing exercise in futility and despair. You know, the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. In other words, God has put into the heart of man a sense that we exist for more than just this life. That there is an ultimate purpose in life beyond simply surviving to make, uh, surviving uh, or living to make more and more money, to buy more and more things, to experience more and more pleasures. And so no matter how much a person tells themselves that being successful and making money is life's main purpose, listen. There often comes a time when they just can't kid themselves any longer, where they cannot look, where they cannot any longer buy into the lie that their life has real meaning and value because they are prospering financially. When that happens, as it did for those prisoners in that Nazi concentration camp, depression and despair set in. Even thoughts of suicide begins to sink in. And at that point, guys, they come to a crossroads. They have come to a crossroads in their life. They can keep going down the road they're on, keep living the lie, and maybe wind up drinking themselves to death or committing suicide, or they can receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, their Lord, and find real meaning and purpose in life. Remember, Jesus didn't just die to save us from hell someday. He died to give our lives meaning and purpose here on earth right now. That's what he said. He said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly, or as the NLT puts it, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Unfortunately, many people in our society have embraced a naturalistic worldview. A naturalistic worldview. Naturalism is the belief that everything in the universe came about through natural causes, starting with the Big Bang. And uh, everything came about through natural causes and not through the supernatural input of any divine being. One scientist said, and I quote, naturalism 
has now replaced Christianity as the main religion of the Western world, and evolution has become naturalism's principal dogma, end quote. Guys, the Bible says that God made man a little lower than the angels, Psalm 8, verse 5. But modern science has rejected the Creator and has embraced evolution, which teaches that man evolved a little higher than the apes. Now, guys, those are two worldviews. And depending on which worldview you choose to live your life by is going to greatly impact the way you live your life and, most importantly, where you spend your eternity. Either we're in an accident that just came about through a big explosion billions of years ago, or we were made in the image of God, a divine being, a creator made everything, including us, and as the Bible says, breathed into man the breath of life. We were a triune being, body, soul, and spirit, like God is a trinity. We had the capacity originally to worship God, to have fellowship with God. Of course, the fall changed that. Coming to Christ will reinstate that ability to have fellowship with God, of course. But let me just say this. Evolution is amoral. Is amoral. So by rejecting the God of the Bible, okay, who is a moral God, and replacing him with the gods of naturalism, chance and time, they believe man is free to live any way he wants without any God looking over his shoulder, uh, telling him what he can and cannot do, and so on. That's what a lot of people think. A lot of very smart people, but they're not very wise. Okay, let me read to you out of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. You know it. Let me just read it to you, though. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things to each other's bodies and homosexuality is the context. Verse 25, they traded the truth about God for the lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Many people who have embraced the naturalistic worldview don't realize the implications and ramifications this has had on our society. I mean, if there is no God, if man is just a cosmic accident, the result of countless genetic mutations, well, then there is no purpose uh, or ultimate value to life, and of course, no afterlife. This leads to a philosophy of life that is nihilistic and hedonistic, the model of which being, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and guess what? That's it. That's it. But fortunately, praise God, that isn't true. There is a God who created everything and everyone. In fact, 
the Bible says that not only are we, listen, not an accident, we are actually God's masterpiece. Let me read to you Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us for a purpose so we can do all the good works he planned for our lives even before we were born. Look, the Bible teaches very clearly that God has created you on purpose for a purpose and he has been preparing you for that work from even before you were born. The Apostle Paul mentions this in his own life. How that in Galatians chapter 1 verse 15, he's talking about his testimony. And how it pleased God, and I'm quoting Paul now, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Paul is saying that God chose him for ministry, called him into the ministry, even from his mother's womb, in the sense that, you know, the time in history he would be born, the place he would be born, the family he would be born into, was all part of God's plan for the work God had chosen or ordained for Paul's life. And guys like Paul, God has been preparing you for his divine purposes, even from your mother's womb. Again, you are no accident. I mean, who you would be, your race and gender, where you would be born, the family and economic strata you would be born into, the talents and abilities you would be born with. Listen, all these were God's way of preparing you for the purpose he had for your life. And then even after you were born, God was further preparing you for through the experiences of your life. Yes, both good and bad was preparing you through the experiences of your life for this work, shaping, shaping and molding you into what you are today, the perfect instrument that he wants to use for the specific work he wants you to accomplish for his name. Listen, God has got your future all mapped out. He's got your future all mapped out. He knows exactly the work he wants you to accomplish for his glory and for his kingdom. The question is, will you submit to him and fulfill the plans and purposes that he has ordained for your life. Will you, like Esther, stand up for God and say to him, Lord, I believe you created me for a purpose, for such a time as this. And I want to use this opportunity to serve you and bring you glory. Now, folks, by saying this, I have more in mind than just this coronavirus pandemic lockdown, okay? I'm talking about the time we're living in in general. And the soon return of Jesus Christ to the planet Earth to establish his kingdom for such a time as that, all right? That's what I'm ultimately talking about. For those of us who are evangelical Christians, well, we know that God's plans and purposes always follow a definite timetable for such uh, as does every purpose of God. Always follows a definite, definite timetable. We read in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, To everything there is a season, a time, for every purpose under heaven. Galatians 4, verse 4 talks about the birth of Christ. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a, of a woman, all right, of a virgin. Christ came, he was born at the exact time the father wanted him born. He died at the exact time God had ordained that he would lay down his life. Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still sinners, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
And guys, likewise, he is coming back again at the appointed time that the Father has set. And listen, he is not going to be late. He's going to be right on time, even if the day and hour of his return has not been revealed to us. Listen, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will, be the, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So our responsibility is to always be watching. And of course, the Lord has given us signs in his word to look for that indicate his coming is getting near and near. We're seeing him everywhere, guys, everywhere. But we don't know the exact moment of his coming for his church. We don't know that, all right? And because of it, we are to, you know, be vigilant. We are to be living that in such a way that he could be coming at any moment, right? And so getting back to that quote by Paul one more time out of Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16 for the time that we are living in right now as we wait for his return again Paul said see that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil guys I don't have to tell you I don't you know it we are living at a time when wickedness and immorality abound a time just like the days of Noah when the darkness is so persuasive, so pervasive, that the only way to keep from being swept away by it is to stand up against it and walk circumspectly with purpose and vigilance. Vigilance. A lot of Christians are asleep in the light. They're not being taught end times prophecies. They're not looking for the Lord's return. And as such, they're going to be caught off guard. We need to be watching and walking with our eyes wide open. Proverbs 4, verses 25 to 27. Solomon said, Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Good words, especially in these last days. Look, the reason Christians often get tripped up and fall away is because they're not obeying that exhortation. They're not keeping their eyes on Jesus. They're not keeping their eyes on the narrow path. Walking that narrow path as the Lord Jesus told us to walk in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. They get distracted by the world and all of its allurements, all of its enticements. Read 1 John 2, uh, 15 to 17. As someone has said... It is sad to see many professed Christians drift through life, like sleepwalkers 
who never really make the most of opportunities to live for Christ and to serve him. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me, listen, while it is still day. The night is coming when no one can work. And guys, this is a solemn reminder to everyone who is a Christian that life's day, quote unquote, is swiftly passing away and the night is coming. In other words, the night of our physical death, all right? Uh, when our service on earth is going to be forever over. As somebody has said years ago, there is only one life, it'll soon be passed, and only that which is done for Christ will last. Redeeming the time becomes then critically important, especially for us who are last days believers, all right? Redeeming the time again means that you're going to have to sacrifice some pleasures, comforts, and goals in exchange for opportunities to serve Jesus. I mean, there is, I mean, you can either live for yourself or you can live for the Lord. If you're going to live for yourself, just, you're going to indulge yourself and Jesus will be pushed to the side. But if you want to serve the Lord, you're going to have to make sacrifices. Uh, you're going to have to give up some of your goals. I remember years ago hearing about the testimony of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was raised in a, a very godly Christian home. And at one point, Jim began to study for uh, the, um, uh, to be a medical doctor. But then the Lord got a hold of his heart and uh, changed his heart to become a missionary to the Aka Indians. Well, when Jim told his family his plans and the changes he wanted to make from being a doctor to a missionary, his family who loved him, who were Christians, said, Jim, are you kidding me? You're, you're going to give up a life of prestige and affluence, a life of security to go live among, you know, savages uh, you know, and so on and so forth. Jim, don't be a fool. And of course, Jim came back with that famous statement that I've never forgotten. He says, that man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's got to be the heart of all of us in these last days. That's, and if it's not your heart right now, ask God for it. Ask God for a heart that says, Lord, I'm willing to give up anything, go anywhere uh, to serve you in these last days. Imagine for a moment, can I use a little illustration? Imagine for a moment that the days of your life are like, you know, the worthless, worthless pieces of fake money that you might see in a board game. We'll call it the game of life, the game of life, a game where God is letting you use your time. Listen to me, which is worthless in and of itself. God is letting you use your time to buy quote-unquote, valuable opportunities to serve him. Opportunities that will bring you priceless, eternal rewards in heaven. Listen to me. A person whose time is spent on themselves winds up with a worthless, wasted life. But the person who spends their time serving Jesus winds up with a precious life and a priceless eternity. Choice is yours. The great 16th century reformer, Philip Melanchthon, kept a record of every wasted moment and took his list to God in confession at the end of each day. Is it any wonder why God used him so mightily? Of course, Moses said in Psalm 90, verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
listen, none of us knows how many days we have in our lives. Nobody knows when we're going to die. So, uh, you know, how can we count? <laughs> how can we number our days when I don't know how many days I have? Now, that's not what Moses is really saying. I believe what he is saying, to put it in our modern vernacular, Lord, help me to make every day count. Help me to make every day count. How? Well, by walking with purpose and not wasting our opportunities to be used by God because, again, the days are evil. Now, I want you to listen to that, all right? Using our opportunities for God because the days are evil. I believe Paul is pointing out to us that evil times create opportunities for good. Opportunities actually created by the evil days. Think about that for a second. I believe that's one of the things Paul is saying, all right? He is basically saying that, look, the evil days we're in are actually creating opportunities for us to serve God. You know, Henry Ford, during the Great Depression, said, many see this as bad times, <laughs> but these are actually good times. Talking about the Great Depression. <laughs> the problem is only a few people know it. What others saw as tragedy, Ford saw as opportunity. Of course, in his case, it was the opportunity to make money. But the same is true for Christians today. Only the opportunity set before us is not the opportunity to make money, it's the opportunity to save souls. To save souls. For Christians, guys, these are very good times. The problem is only a few of God's people actually realize it. So many of God's people are hunkered down during this pandemic. They're fearful. They're, they're, they're losing their faith. Um, they are losing their health. Um, and, and, and all. they're not looking at this as an opportunity to serve God. It's, Lord, please let this go away. Please let me get back to the way things were. So a lot of Christians who don't realize these are actually very good times spiritually because whenever there is adversity, calamity, trials, or something like we're going through, people get scared. People don't know what the future is going to bring. And here we can come in and we can tell them about Jesus who is on the throne and how God has got everything under control. We can use the opportunity to share with them the gospel. Look, we know, but they need to know that our God can do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could even ask or think. And in these last days, he wants to reach people with the gospel. Now you ask yourself, well, how can I start? Well, by getting involved in ministry right now. And you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I'm stuck in the house, okay? They won't let me really do anything. So what do you mean get involved in ministry right now? Well, you can pray, can't you? You can pray, can't you? Every Friday uh morning at nine o'clock, I have a, a, a Zoom prayer meeting with all the pastors in Illinois. And then at one o'clock, I have a Zoom meeting with numerous pastors around the Midwest. And we're praying for this uh, 2020 vision for the Heartland Outreach this summer. Our church is going to be involved in that to a large degree. And uh, right now, Pastor Mike McIntosh, who is going to be leading it, he wants to get all the churches, all the Christians praying because he knows if we don't bathe this in prayer, God's not going to work in a very powerful way. And so right now, you want to get involved in a ministry? 
Uh, start praying. Organize a little Zoom prayer meeting with some of the people you know in the church. And pray every week for this uh, outreach and for other things. For other things that God would impact the people in our communities with the gospel. That he would bless our church and use it beyond anything we could even hope or imagine, right? Um, look for ways. This this pandemic, this uh, shelter in place is going to be over at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. And uh, you need to, to, to then seek God as to what you can do for his glory. I mean, and don't despise the days of small things that teaches us faithfulness. It doesn't matter that right now it's like we need ushers in the church and you don't feel really called to ultimately be an usher. That's, that's okay. God may not have you to be an usher the rest of your life, but that's where the need is. Start there. Wherever the need is, start at that place and let God direct you then to his ultimate purpose uh, for your life according to the giftings he's given you, right? But you got to start somewhere. A lot of Christians are sitting on the couch waiting for God to, to come to them and said they need to, you know, report for duty, as we said. And one of the ways I think we can get involved and begin to minister, as Paul said in Galatians 6.10, let us, uh, as we have opportunity, do good, especially for fellow Christians, well, we got to get to know people in our church. Small groups are a very important way that we can connect with each other. Now, I realize at this point we're, we're doing small groups uh, using the Zoom meetings, and that, that's fine. It's better than nothing. I'd rather be face-to-face, -face, but look, thank God he's provided a way where we can, you know, at least have these meetings. And the purpose is twofold of these small groups. First of all, the purpose is to draw closer to God. To draw closer to God by studying his word and talking about uh, the scriptures and, and, uh, and things and all. But the second reason we want to do this is because it builds relationships. It gets us to know one another. And as we get to know each other, we get to know each other's needs and prayer requests. We can pray for each other. That binds us together. That causes us to become strong and unified. And, and, and together we can then use, you know, everything to walk with, with God in a closer way. Um, it's all about getting to know him. But as Christians, we must, I mean, how can you bear each other's burdens? How can you meet another Christian's needs in the church? You don't know them. You don't know what the needs are. That's where small groups come in. You've got to be a part of a small group. Uh, and this is a very easy time. You sit in your living room or uh, in your office at home and, and dial into the Zoom meeting and and we'll get you plugged in. If you want to become a part of a small group, let us know. We'll get you plugged in. But it's that important. Let me just close by saying this, okay? Nothing can make up for wasted opportunities. Nothing. Once the opportunity is gone, it's gone forever. I mean, the road to heaven will be paved with wasted opportunities and unclaimed rewards. I mean, it's no use crying over wasted opportunities of the past. They're gone. Just make sure not that you make the most of opportunities in the present and in the future. The Lord has created you and I for such a time as this. Don't waste it. Don't waste this time. Look, we had a uh, prayer meeting, as I said last Friday, with the pastors in the Midwest. And um, Pastor Mike McIntosh was there, and he was talking about how that God is working in some incredible ways. I mean, Jesus is coming back soon, all right? And, uh, and God is already moving and working in some incredible ways. He talked about how God, he was talking about uh, in Iran, Persia, 
biblical Persia. How that uh, Jesus Christ is appearing to Muslims all over the place in dreams. They're waking up and seeing visions of Christ standing by their bed. As they're walking out in the fields, Jesus will come uh, to them. And he's been sharing the gospel with these Muslims. And they're getting saved in droves in our own church. We have a sweet Persian couple. Uh, the Lord gave her, Muslim couple, the Lord gave her three dreams where the Lord Jesus came to her. And she finally got saved. I mean, things are happening. And that's just one little, you know, stories that we could look at but the Lord Jesus is working everywhere through the Holy Spirit and I believe this pandemic is being used by him to reach out and to bring people to to Jesus the Holy Spirit reaching out bringing people to Jesus who might not might not ever have set foot in the church but now because churches are live streaming we never live streamed before this pandemic I promise you we're going to keep live streaming after we're back in our church building because there are people watching from different places in the country that can't come physically to our church building for a service, and that's fine. We want to keep reaching out to them, but there are a lot of folks who are turning in to hear the teaching of God's Word that never went to church, never heard the Bible taught, and they're getting saved. This is a very powerful time. Uh, would it have been something we would have chosen for ourselves? No, probably not. Now, that's how God works. He uses things that we would never have chosen for ourselves, but then uses them in ways we could never have imagined how he would then use us in this work. So guys, be open to God's divine appointments. Be open to God, the leading of the Holy Spirit and to begin to pray. Begin to pray with all your heart that the Spirit of God will be poured out on our nation, that our leaders would get saved, that revival would spread uh, to, the through the, uh, to the church throughout our country, and that would lead to a great awakening that would see millions upon millions of people saved before Jesus returns. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the days in which we are living. And Lord, right now it's scary. Right now we don't know what the future is going to bring, except we know the one who holds the future in his hand. So uh, as evangelical Christians, ultimately we're not worried. You're on the throne. But Lord, we pray that you would use us uh, in these last days, that Lord, whatever opportunity you bring our way, that we would be sensitive to it and that we wouldn't miss it and we would latch onto it and, and purchase it completely in a sense with our time, that we might be used by you, Lord, to touch others with the gospel. Lord, open new doors of opportunity. Give us a greater sensitivity to your spirit that we might know, uh, you know, this is the way you walk in it, as you have said in your word, that we might follow you that we might be used by you, Lord, to as instruments to touch many in these last days for Jesus. We pray primarily for our families, uh, that they would get saved. But Lord, also, that you would also keep us protected and safe against this coronavirus or any other disease or pestilence stalking the earth. Keep us healthy, keep us strong, that we might serve you with vigor and energy and health. And we ask you to keep blessing our church and using it for your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.